as I said a moment ago in the introduction to the program, the basic question is what happened? And uh, that's the question I addressed directly to Leo Malamud and Sam Peltzman after I quickly introduced them. Leo Malamud, as just about everybody in town surely, and in the country surely knows, uh, is the former chairman of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, who is he's a statesman of higher finance and has organized and reorganized uh, many, or, uh, many exchanges and invented some instruments. Sam Peltzman is professor of economics at the Graduate School of Business of the University of Chicago, an old friend of this program, always with something interesting and exciting and often confounding, but always also amusing to say. So be interesting, exciting, confounding, and amusing in response to my basic question, what happened? Well, I'll try to answer the question. I don't know if I can live up to those expectations. Uh, you know, you can go back uh, as many years as you want, but uh, uh, what's going on now is, uh, bubbled to the surface a year ago, and it was rooted in the housing market. Uh, uh, the the uh, supposedly impossible started to happen. Housing prices started to decline. And uh, that unraveled a, a whole a whole series of uh, of assets that had been put on the uh, on the uh, on the bank's books in the previous years. Now, why were they put on the bank's books? See, I think you can you, you really have to go back further. We had a period before 07, six or seven years, in fact, of very low interest rates. And uh, 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 in particular, very low rates for borrowing from the Federal Reserve system. So that's when all sorts of people go for mortgages. Yes, yes. Well, you can borrow at 1% and invest in mortgages that yield 6%. That's mm -hmm. a pretty good business. And it drew a lot of people in. And or it, the banks could borrow at 1%. Banks could borrow at 1% and, and lend at 6%. Lend it at six. That's right? a pretty good deal. Right. That it? sounds like a very good deal. Yeah, right? wouldn't, a, you like, wouldn't you like to do that? Yes. It's a right? great deal. It's been going on for a decade, in term, one term or another. I mean, in Japan, there was the scary trade. You could borrow money at virtually no interest rate and convert it into dollars or some other currency, and there you could invested in instruments that, you know, gave you some good return. Mm -hmm. So that game was going on at the same time in the United States for the very longest time. We had the lowest interest rates of a generation. So basically what happened is that all over the world, not just Japan, not just the United States, India, in Europe and so forth, money became so exceedingly cheap, it was nearly free. And everyone uh, was using that free money to make money with because they could do it and convert it into instruments that produced a higher rate of return. Sometimes you find novels which give you the exact title for a theme or even for a whole program. And the perfect title is the novel Turn of the Century uh, by William Dean Howells, A Hazard of New Fortunes. Uh, we've had lots of new fortunes which have been made over the last 10 years, yeah. but they have been at hazard, have they not? Yeah. All of it, it, first of all, this isn't new. Every 10 years, we get a, a similar situation. And uh, uh, what's new about this one is its extent, how many banks got into it, how much uh, how much uh, money was pumped into the mortgage. But if we market. get this every 10 years, then there's some, if this is a cyclic phenomenon rather than a unique one, 
then there must be some sort of systemic explanation. Well, what is I, it? you know, 10 years is a little bit contracted. I think it's a little longer. I mean, the last one was in 1987, as, as I remember. When we talking about, this, let's be clear what we're talking about. I'm not talking about the stock market. Okay. I'm talking about this kind of discomfort in the banking system where mm -hmm. assets suddenly go bad in in, in large uh, well, large amounts and that's true yeah i mean you you're right about that because we had the long-term capital uh, was in 1988 uh, 1998 well the big one was the was the, uh, the 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 sovereign debt in southeast asia and, and Russia. that, that was 10, years, right after 10 that. years before that but we have, we have we had investment houses failing the way they fail now no not we had recent. banks. We had we we had we had, we had the savings bank. We had, uh, we had problem. savings and loan problem in the late 1980s yeah. and early 90s, but but not the investment banks in, in this this kind. This that's it's their turn. Every everyone has its own and its own its own uh, uh, particular uh, uh, manifestation. By the way, at some point, I'm going to stop and ask you to define. Lots of people listening right now have certainly heard the term investment bank, right. and they wouldn't directly confess. They don't quite know the difference right. between the investment bank and the bank on the corner. But let's explain. What is an investment bank, Leo Malamud? Well, an investment bank is not a bank. A commercial bank, to start with that, is a bank that uh, has deposits from uh, citizens and basically gives them an interest because it invests in certain regulated uh, instruments of finance and is heavily regulated. In fact, the, the bank, commercial banks, were heavily uh, regulated to this day. Um, quite different than investment banks. Investment banks are banks that can take risk. They are basically trading houses. They started out as uh, doing doing financial services and then they grew into uh, a, a what was called an investment bank because they could invest in risky instruments of finance, um, take risk, and as a result, get a lot bigger rate of, rate of return. Where do they get the money with which they invest? Oh, uh, they get it from all over the place, sometimes even in recent years, even sovereign debt. Uh, China invested in, in an investment bank and a hedge fund. They get it m m mainly, they got it from hedge funds, they got it from rich individuals, they got it from um, all kinds of sources, and then they get it from even commercial banks that will invest in, in some form of what they're doing. Now, how does a great brokerage like Merrill Lynch become also an investment bank? Because essentially that's what got them into trouble. Or is it, or am I wrong about it? Uh, yeah, they have a very big investment banking uh, business. How, how, how do they do that? Well, they just went into that business quite a while ago. They generate as part of their business securities, which they then distribute through their brokerage. So, mm -hmm. so what, what are the activities of an investment bank? There's trading. All right, so it'd be natural that the brokerage and the tra trading would, would go together. There's also arranging mergers and acquisitions. There's uh, selling uh, selling new issue uh, new uh, new uh, IPOs. I don't know what I <laughs> initial public In initial public offer. That's mm -hmm. new stock issues. Yeah. Right. So you 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 go to some entrepreneur who wants to mm -hmm. float stock. You guarantee them a certain amount of money, and then you tell your brokers to distribute it. Now, a basic so they're, question. They're very much, uh, very much interlinked businesses. I pose a basic and very simple-minded question. Simple-minded because I'm struggling to comprehend all of this. Yeah. Uh, and you are here to teach but let me. Let me try to help you. To teach our <laughs> I, I appreciate your helping me. I need a lot of help on this one. I also need to go to commercial in just a moment. So the question I pose is simply this: Why 
just because a fair number of people, or maybe a great number of people, millions of people, I suppose, can't pay their, can't meet their mortgage payments, why does that generate this kind of crisis and this kind of collapse? And why do firms fall because people can't pay their mortgages? You will explain that, I trust, right after we pause for this. My guest tonight, as we try to unravel the mystery of the collapse of our credit institutions, are Leo Malamud, former chairman of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, president of Malamud & Associates, his own uh, very important consulting firm, and Sam Peltzman, professor of economics at the uh, Chicago University of Chicago Graduate School of Business, who was ready to tell me that when I asked him a few minutes ago, uh, why do uh, a fair number of people uh, finding that they can't meet their mortgage payments, why does that generate this sort of crisis? Uh, has already advised me that I'm asking the wrong question. Because he usually does <laughs> Not the wrong me. question, but it needs some background. It does. So what background and, and does the, it require? The, 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 the background is that all of these financial collapses or panics or whatever you want to call them have a common anatomy. All right? There's a, they consist in a, uh, an event which has a very remote likelihood of happening, but if it happens, there'll be big losses. And if it doesn't happen, there'll be small profits and they'll continue to be earned over uh, repeated periods of time. In, in economics, we call this the peso, the, the peso problem after, for historical reasons, which I'm not going to go into, but have to do with the Mexican peso contract traded at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So, so Leo should be proud mm -hmm. that his, his exchange is given the the name to this. But in, in any case, you have this remote possible. What is the remote possibility in this case? That house prices would actually decline. Never happened. No, the rule happen. is real didn't estate always since, gets since the more Great Depression, and more. it didn't yeah, happen. Exactly. It was a very remote likelihood, right? If it didn't happen, it made a lot of sense to borrow at 1% and invest in mortgages at 6%. Since it made a lot of sense, you created a whole set of incentives all the way down the line to go out and find mortgages. First, we start with, I'll find you and me. We're, we're pretty... Well, ultimately, you wind up uh, urging people who shouldn't be buying houses to buy them. That's right. That's right. You, 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 say, you say, look, so long as the value of those houses doesn't go down... We'll just take the house back and we'll be, we'll be okay. And it's true, we were okay, so long as that didn't happen. Okay, so, so uh, incentives were created to shovel a lot of mortgage mm -hmm. business into the banking. So you were pay, the, the mortgage broker was paid whether the mortgage defaulted or, or Okay, or an incidental question arises, Leo, why did uh, the price of real estate begins to decline. No, 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 you're, you're ahead of the question. Again? Just slow down a little. All right, sir. Okay. Okay, professor. Okay, you're a little bit ahead of the, you're a little bit ahead of the, of the game here. Uh, so you get, a, so you, you begin trading down into, into uh, 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 people who really shouldn't, mm -hmm. who really shouldn't. And you begin to make the risk that those people take greater, right? You, you, to get the business, you say, well, you don't have to pay interest for a few years. And then you have to start paying interest. You incentivize so to draw them in. Yeah, that's right. So, and and, and, and we we to to this, what we're now finding out is 
the tremendous amounts of money from all over the world that got invested in 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 this market okay so the the the, the break occurs when some of these mortgages start to say well now you got to pay interest and people who shouldn't have been there just walk away and houses start coming on the market uh-huh, uh-huh. And then there was this over <coughs> overbuilding that was going on. Yeah, of course, it was easy to find it. It was easy easy to you know get money to build, and it was easy to get a mortgage. And so this was it became a what what Sam is describing is really a vicious. It was a nice thing for everyone to be able to own a home. So it used to be it demand. Was very very unrealistic. So demand beat supply before, but now supply is beating demand. Yes. It caught it, up. It, not it, only caught, but you begin to get just a few people defaulting. Yeah. Stuff gets put on the market. The price starts to go down. Sure. People, people who are building condos in Florida and Las Vegas find that they can't sell them because, oh, I will only want to buy that thing if I can, if I can be sure it's going to go up in price. And now it's it's not going up in price anymore. So you get a pullback there. All right. That's when it began to unravel. That's what hit a year ago. For a long time, it was working. For a very, very long time, as we know, uh, people bought, you know, they were flipping. They were buying condos and two, three, four, five of them and could buy them as an investment and immediately flip them a couple of weeks later for a higher price because everything kept going higher and higher. Now, what eventually happened, as Sam described, is that the original buyers of these things that were getting they were getting mortgages that they didn't literally didn't have to pay anything for the first six months or a year. It started to come into the time when they had to pay um, for the mortgage. And the interest rate that they had to pay was a lot more than it started out to be. So that eventually they couldn't afford what they had bought. And because of the oversupply, uh, the value stopped moving so upward as they had for really virtually an entire decade. And everything sort of crested almost all at once. And that's why you saw this this thing happen so very, very quickly. Because all these mortgages came due and higher rates of a return demanded a higher rate of payment on the mortgage. And um, the supply was overwhelming. And, and the combination of oversupply and inability for what ended up as being hundreds of thousands of of people with with homes that they can't couldn't afford literally couldn't afford at the same time that's how it started but but there's more there's more right the institutions that this is got, a series of catastrophes well, the inst- there was there was a massive regulatory failure right we're not talking about grand issues of philosophy here we're talking about mm-hmm. what leo talked about before the commercial banking sector which has been since 1913 heavily regulated by the by by the government there was there was a particular regulatory failure that exacerbated this tremendously and it has to do it it, it worked in the following way as these incentives start to generate mortgages they create institutions like, well, why don't we, why don't we put these mortgages into securities and sell them to other people so we'll get more money to invest in 6% mortgages uh, that we have to pay 1% for? So we're reaching the point where the invention of new derivatives 
becomes, we have new securities. Yeah. Okay. Collateral debt now, obligations and the, these are structured investment vehicles that were over-the-counter derivatives that were built. Yeah. They were created by the banks, in fact, to be able to sell what Sam is describing to, to investors all over the, the world. All over the world. People so, had, didn't even have an idea of what was inside those so, those so, those secure, those derivative obligations and, and had no idea what the risks inside were. So you're going to have to go to your commercial break. Two but, minutes. But we, 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 it can't be taught. It may not be in two minutes. All right. So how does Citicorp get caught if mm -hmm. it's packaging these mortgages and selling them to people in China, which it, it was it was doing? How does it get caught? To facilitate the sale, it whispered into the ear of the Chinese buyer, you know, these are perfectly safe securities, but... But if they ever, there's ever trouble, you ever, ever have trouble to sell them, we'll take them back. The regulatory failure is when they say those words, we will take them back. That's a liability of the, of the commercial bank that's making that statement. Even though it wasn't on the books of Even the commercial though, bank. And, and as when, a liability. The mm -hmm. regulatory failure is the banks went to the Federal Reserve and they said, don't put this on our books. We'll never, we'll never make, have to make good on this promise. Don't put it on the books. Federal Reserve said, okay. That's the regulatory failure. Of course, when the, when the price of houses starts to fall, some of these Chinese buyers go to Citicorp and they say, it's yours. Well, they were Swiss buyers too. So, <laughs> it was well, I'm, only I'm, Chinese. The, the generic buyer. That's right. The generic it buyer was all over the, the world. Just all of a sudden, it's all yours. So right? here we are. And so here, here we are. are. And here we're just we about reaching the point where we pause to hear the latest bad news, as we probably <laughs> will. Actually, some good news, too. Well, we'll see. Uh, the, the market went up today. We haven't talked about the market yet, and that's only uh, a reflection of the larger crisis. But uh, lots of people hold positions in equities, and yet other instruments and are very worried about how they're losing money. Yes. Um, though they may feel reassured, the market, the Dow today, went up over 400, I think 450 or something. But Lord knows where it will go tomorrow. That's right. Uh, we will be directly back to Leo Malamud and Sam Peltzman uh, when we, uh, right after the news. But before we go to the news, I'll give you my second uh, favorite quotation. You recognize it. Casey Stengel said it years ago well, on yet another day when the Mets had lost a ball game. And going off the field, he was heard to mutter, don't nobody here know how to, to play, play this, this game? game yes. And it he seems to me that after all these years, there ought to have been some advance warning and some concern and some kind of regulation or at least some wisdom uh, offered to the people who were the heavy operators and manipulators <clears throat> so as to slow them down or so as to get them to change their ways. So I will ask you when we return, don't nobody here know how to play this game? And do we now know how to play this game? Uh, all of that to follow right after the update on the news from Jim Goodis. So, Leo Malamud, <clears throat> you've been dealing with uh, men high in the world of finance for years. You are such a person yourself, uh, but you know these guys. Uh, why doesn't nobody know how to play this game? Well, it really isn't that nobody knows how to play the game because, you know, some a lot of people were saying that 
things were going to go the way they went for a very long time, but were ignored. Warren but, Buffett was predicting catastrophe. Yes, Warren Buffett he? was one of them. There were many. But you see, as long as the game was going on and values were kept rising, and you, you, it was a little bit like a Ponzi scheme. It keeps going till the last mm -hmm. guy uh, doesn't pay his bill or whatever, and then it collapses like a house of cards. But the, the real, mm -hmm. I think, the culprit here is government to a very, very large extent. They accentuated what, what Sam was saying, that they took the liability off the books so that you didn't, because it was a liability, hey, it was never going to happen. Well, it happened. And uh, in the in the case of uh, Ginny May and Freddie Mac, these were, um, these were instruments, these were agencies that uh, theoretically, and it turns out in actual terms, guaranteed by the government. And what was their function? Their function was to give cheap mortgages to everybody. And they got cheaper and cheaper and were encouraged by what? They were encouraged by Congress to do that. I mean, that was their mandate and they kept expanding their ability to do so and giving them greater and greater latitude till they came down to what was known as subprime, uh, non-documented mortgage. It was um, uh, revealed today in a big news story that uh, Ginny May and uh, uh, and Freddie Mac have given Fannie a lot. Fannie Mae and something else. I get them all. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac yeah. have given uh, large contributions to certain politicians. Uh, the second uh, highest on their list in the last year has been the Democratic candidate for the presidency. No, I didn't know that, but I did know the first was Senator Dodd. No, I, I, you know, I'm not surprised the politicians got contributions because it was Congress and maybe on both sides of the fence. I don't know um, exactly who, but I do know that Congress passed many a, a regulation that assisted uh, the the Freddie Mac and and Fannie Mae to to give mortgages at cheaper and cheaper rates in terms of uh, without without documentation. In other words, without somebody being able to prove they've got the assets, they've got a job, they can afford the mortgage and so forth and so on. And that that idea was to, it was a good idea. Everybody has a home and homes always went up in value, but we already went through that, that at some point that's ridiculous because you can't go on forever in that kind of a Ponzi scheme. What is the cost ultimately, what might the cost ultimately be to ordinary Americans who've got the usual sort of familial investments in uh, in equities and in other uh, kinds of saving instruments. Well, so far, so far, uh, uh, you know, it helps to be a little bit old because you've lived through a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. So far, what's happened on first to the real economy, which concerns everybody, and secondly to the stock market, has been comparatively mild. It is surprising to any observer how resilient the real economy has been and how modest the effects have been on the stock market now that to, to, to somebody who's young that doesn't sound that that sounds strange but look we're down 20 percent on the year right in in two months we were down 30 percent in 87 uh, uh i lived through a period where Wait, it was two the, days in two days yeah uh, uh, I lived through a period where half my uh, wealth disappeared in, in a year, 73, 74. So by historical standards, the stock market, while it's volatile and people are panicked, it's, not, it's, it's been mild. And the real economy is still growing. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. The, the, uh, one of the tasks for 
you say, does anybody know how to play this game? One of the tasks for these regulators who, uh, and government, uh, government agencies who now have hundreds of billions of dollars of various kinds of assets sitting in their laps is going to be to insulate the real economy uh, and the rest of the world from uh, this financial well, meltdown. Before we talk about how you insulate, let me look at the opposite side of the issue. And let me ask you, Leo Malamud, uh, what's the worst case analysis of what might yet happen? Well, you know, this could conceivably keep going down in terms of the equity market and uh, a variety of securities around it. But uh, there is a little bit of ray of hope because today uh, really was a uh, kind of a, a watershed kind of moment when the market really uh, vomited, uh, so to speak, profusely uh, during most of the day and at the end almost was in an exhaustion mode and that's good when that kind of thing happens there's a there's a there's a real sign and that sign is a very major turnaround such as you had 400 400 points on the Dow uh, and I believe some continuation is due after that so that for the near term perhaps we're looking at what could be conceivably at least the near term bottom of this thing but if you're asking in the ultimate sense, if it kept right on going, you, you could ultimately have the kind of thing that happened in 1932. You know, you could conceivably go into a depression. But I, I really don't believe that because I do believe there are uh, resiliencies within the economy that are enormous. What Sam said is absolutely right. With all the the trouble we've seen and had and all the headlines, stock market's down 20%. So the immediate advice out of all of that background to the listener who's got a portfolio to sustain the family and to, and as a way of investing into, in the future of, uh, for his family. The immediate advice is stand pat, I would sell say, nothing. I would say if you're, if you've withstood till now, I wouldn't have said this a month ago because I thought, you know, that there were still, you were better off to take something off the table and maybe a lot of it. But at this point in time, I would say not to panic and to see this thing play out a little more. Are there, in fact, any bottom feeder opportunities? That will remain to be seen. First of all, I'm not as sanguine as, as, as Leo about the, the, the I'm the just trying term. to be happy. Uh, 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 there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of challenges. Uh, so long as housing prices don't bottom, and that's not happening yet, housing prices are still going down. They're down double digits year over year. Until those bottom, uh, we will not have a clear eye, a clear view of of uh, uh, the end of troubles. Hey, is this the time? We are going. We're going to have. We're going to have more distress in the financial in the financial sector, for as far as I can as far as I can see. We still have, finan big financial institutions heavily committed to mortgages, which are increasingly backed by declining house values, very powerful incentives for people Let to me, pick up and walk away and dump those houses into the lap. So I, can't, just, I can't resist asking this question. I had a number of few uh, architects on here a month or two ago, very enthusiastic about all the wonderful new residential building in Chicago. Trump Tower going up. Mm -hmm. In fact, the designer of the Trump Tower was on the program. The Colatrava Spiral or Screw Tower uh, is projected and yes. may rise. 
uh, is it wise to build vast new residential towers at a time not like this? Not at this time. Not right no, now. No, this would be silly. In I fact, think the, so. the over the overextension is unbelievable. What Sam is saying, right? I was talking strictly of, of the equities market. I wasn't yeah. saying because the the economy itself still has the problems you said, but it has even more problems than that. Given that the government has taken over so much of the of the bad assets and the real liabilities of some of these firms, which is going to be passed on to the taxpayer. I mean, clearly, it's the American taxpayer is going to carry this burden. That burden will slow them down considerably as a, a consuming um, individual, so that consumption probably by, uh, you know, uh, the, the American public is going to go down, and that will hurt Is the, the money economy. that the government is, is putting in, uh, they've bought uh, Freddie and Fannie, they've uh, buoyed up a number of other firms with billions and billions and billions, or as Carl Sagan might have said, billions and billions and billions. Uh, uh, is that real money or is it printed money? Well, there's, that, there's a risk of that. But you, you, you know, there's one way to solve all these problems, just, just to base the currency. Yeah. Housing prices will turn around, and, and you know, a lot of these problems, but, but that's not a solution which... Uh, which is going to... Uh, That's the printing money. Yeah, anybody yeah, that there's favors. a lot of temptation to do it. Now, now I, 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 it, it, it will, if we do it, we'll be back to the same turmoil that we got out of in the 70s and, and, and early 80s. We're, we're actually a little fortunate that the dollar is now showing a little bit of strength and is uh, starting to look uh, yeah. better. Now, I don't know if that's an interim thing or it, it, it's, it's going to go back to its uh, losing ways um, in the future, but... But what Sam is saying is right. There isn't anybody that can tell me that a falling dollar is a good thing for the economy. It simply is not. It, it creates an inflationary mode. It, it's just, uh, it, it, it's very, very risky. When Secretary Paulson said this very day, we heard this on the newscast just a few minutes ago, that the they are developing a plan to rescue banks from bad debts. What did he mean? Well, the, let's, again, we have to back up a little bit. Right. We've had a sudden accretion of various kinds of assets by the government. 29 billion line of credit for Bear Stearns. It owns a, it owns the biggest insurance company in the world since yesterday. Right? Uh, uh, Does the government now fully own AIG? Oh yeah, it's 80 percent. Yeah. Just like that. Just like that, $85 billion line of credit and 80% of the of the equity. It owns outright Fannie and Freddie, which were the, 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 these, these government corporations. You know, this verges on socialism. Well, it is. It's, it's socializing so. all of the bad stuff yeah. that's gone on. So, 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 so that, that's a fact now. What is missing so far is any plan to get out. Right, right? So, th and that—that's what I think the markets are looking for. Some sign that these guys know how to play this game. In the Casey Stengel phrase, and ultimately really, will sell it really back to private It's questionable whether they do know what, you know, how to play the game. Because I think it wasn't so long ago that the same people that are doing this said that there was. We have seen the end, the light at the end of the tunnel. This wasn't yeah. so long ago yeah. that I yeah. heard these officials say that, and of course they were very, very wrong. And so Let's. at this point, I don't even think there's a like. Why do you rescue Bear Stearns but not Lehman? I mean, it's yeah. a question. Uh, why do you do AIG? What's the next one around? I mean, 
there is no clear-cut definition of what they are planning to do, and so it's a, it's you know Morgan as, Stanley and Wachovia are making we're in trouble noises right now. Yes. Well, what's what's happened is that there's been a whole a wholesale backing away from rolling over the short-term yeah. liabilities. Uh, the short-term borrowings on on which these uh, pure investment banks uh, uh, rely, uh, but but let me let me get back a little bit. The, the biggest chunk of all of this is Fannie and Freddie, mm -hmm. all right, uh, uh, and it's the biggest question. The market is giving a very powerful signal that the game that Fannie and Freddie were were playing at the behest of Congress is over and there's no indication that the government is willing to accept that signal right why sh wh why do we need a government corporation to funnel money into the mortgage market why don't we have a government corporation to funnel money into the farm uh, if you the, have been sitting into the corn or, market, now, now sam if you've been sitting where paulson sits what would you advise uh, to do about the near collapse of Fannie and Freddie? It's not the Let near, them it's, die? it's gone. They're gone. They're government, they're now yeah. wholly owned subsidiaries of the well, U.S. But what would government. you have wanted the government to do? I would have wanted the government to have said, look, this game is over. Yeah. And what we are now going to do is we're going to propose a plan for the orderly liquidation of government corporations in the, in, in the mortgage market. They're going to do that. But there is there is now a denial in Congress, a denial of reality, a belief that it's all over. We can just go on and do the same thing forever. The U.S. government does not have unlimited debt capacity, right? It's taken it's taken on several trillion in liabilities by nationalizing. But members of Congress have have anxious constituents back home who are worried about their mortgages. The, the, yeah, but you don't need a government corporation to have a mortgage. That's what banks are for. Right? And they're, they're not going to be able to do right. anything what, about What Fannie and Freddie did is subsidize those mortgages yeah. by borrowing on the credit of the United States government implicitly. Now it's all explicit. If you had let Fannie and Freddie die, what would have happened to all those mortgages? No, you can't. You couldn't, you you couldn't, couldn't do you, it. You can't. You can't. can't, can't That's not the point. The point is that going forward... Yeah. We got to get out of this business. We being the we the the taxpayer in the mm -hmm. U.S. government, there has to be a plan. And, and you can't do it overnight. You can't. There's no way of doing. It. These were these were debts of the U.S. government. All the the nationalization did was explicitly recognize that. They're signaling me anxiously from the booth. We're a few minutes late. Five indeed for a round of commercials. If you're interested in dollars and the accumulation of dollars. Uh, we've got to do some of that right now. Mm -hmm. And then we return to Sam Peltzman and Leo Malamed. And by the way, shortly after the 10 o'clock news, we'll be going to the phones. I'll give the number right now, as if you don't know it, 591-7200. The lines are open, and we look forward to your calls. If you don't mind waiting a bit, you can get in line right now. There is a... On 591-7200, and we shall return directly after these words. You know, Leo Malamed um, has a very interesting history. Um, 
you you were born in Poland or Russia? Bialystok, Poland. Bialystok, Poland. And during the war, you were a little child. Your family got out just in time and wound up in, was it Shanghai? Japan, actually. Oh, in Japan, rather. Was yours a, a Yiddish-speaking family? They were. Oh, I bet they were. Uh, my parents were Yiddish-speaking. I'm Yiddish-speaking. My mother's... As were mine. As were yours. Wonderful. <laughs> we're, all, we're all Lanzmann here. Lanz, <laughs> Lanz Um My mother used to very often, when things were kind of troubled and confused, say, Nu Vosvet Zain. So, <laughs> so, what, so what's going be? to happen? What, what will, will be? be? No, what's that saying? Well, I think, I think the what what we were saying before, irrespective of how there's still a great deal of problems out there, and um, who knows where it's going. Irrespective of that, we are talking about um, a country that is enormously strong from an economic point of view. We have uh, the resources are incomparable in the world. Uh, we have a history of getting out of almost all adversity. Sometimes it takes a while. I I don't know that this will be over in you know in a, uh, a New York minute, but eventually it will. The country will survive. I think. I think it'll be stronger for it because I think some of the nonsense that has been going on in the last 10 years, enormous lessons were learned as a result of that. I think there's going to be disclosure for risk a lot more than there has been in the past because that was the main lesson that we learned. That before you invest in an instrument, and I don't care who says what it says about it, you have to know what the what the real risk involved is. So disclosure was a was a, a concern is a concern and should have been a greater concern than it was and I think the new world is going to is going to be different I think there's going to be some major changes I think we're going to have large maybe it's not you know not what the textbook want but we're going to have larger banks uh, the banks are going to be more on the European model I think than than we've had here we've had so many and I think that that's going to change to a great extent, uh, as you as you said, what what Merrill Lynch is doing with Wachovia, the the potential not Merrill Lynch, um, City, Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley, um, is an indication of what will be happening, and I think well, that, a lot of this. Bank will of change. America has acquired Merrill Lynch. Yes. Bank of yeah. yes, the Bank of America acquiring Merrill Lynch, and so forth. So that that's that's going to be the way of the world, and I think I think we'll be better for it. So I, you know, ultimately, overall, I'm an optimist. I would share that. I think in many ways we're going to go back to the future. Uh, a lot of the complicated stuff is gone. Uh, a lot of the uh, taking big risks with short-term uh, borrowings that have to be rolled over is probably gone. Subprime mortgages, probably gone. I mean, uh, uh, they have a place, but the extent to which... Uh, the extent to which they were they suffused the financial system, I think that's gone. And I think uh, you're going to see a lot of simpler stuff. And I think you know, in terms of uh, Leo's business, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a, a long-run positive because, uh, while to the layman it's complicated, what he really deals with is uh, 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 transparent stuff, things that you know what you're getting into. They're very simple to people who who need to. To, to know there's a lot of disclosure and uh, 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 that, that's going to be a good he, he's going to have more derivatives to trade but they're going to be oh it's going to be all above board and and 
uh, I think I think we will be healthier for it. In, what in the what long Sam run. is saying, our middle name actually is Transparency and Disclosure. We're I, talking here about the Merck or about your We're firm? talking about futures markets. We're talking yeah. about the Chicago Mercantile Exchange in particular, which is the largest of the futures markets in the world. And and the middle name is Transparency and Disclosure. Everybody knows what everybody's mm -hmm. done. It's in the open. It's done in in an open form uh, where there is no hidden, there is no opaqueness, and th that story is a big story that will get out and be understood by the whole world. You will, <clears throat> you will not be surprised if I tell you that all of our lines are filled, our phone lines. Um, people are waiting to talk with you. I should also invite those who are listening to us over the Internet at some greater distance to uh, get to us via email. The email address, as ever, is extension720 at tribune.com. And we will be on to the phones and to the email right after a full update on the evening's news. And for that, to David Jennings. With a quick reintroduction of our guests, and we're very lucky to have them here tonight. And then directly on to the phones and to the email. Those guests are Leo Malamud, former chairman of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, president of Malamud and Associates, a major financial uh, and uh, essentially futures consulting firm. Is that a fair description? Sure. And Sam Peltzman, professor of economics at the Graduate School of Business, University of Chicago, and the author of The Peltzman Effect. Uh, shall we describe what, shall we define The Peltzman Effect? Is it relevant to what we're talking oh, about absolutely. Yeah. Explain then yeah. how it is and what it is. Well, uh, it, 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 the original context was auto safety regulation. You want me to go into that? Sure, just briefly. Well, uh, I, I, it's a, a, an old study that I did 30 years ago about the first wave of automobile safety regulation in which uh, I found that, uh, uh, yeah, there's the seat belts, the pop-out windshields and the collapsible steering columns and all of that kind of thing it had no effect on the death rate. So because uh, knowing that they're safer, people go faster. That was the, that was that's the basic uh, yeah. point, and and it's because it's, it's been named after me. And and the current context is, if the government uh, guarantees, you'll take extra risk, and uh, the government will have to make very good on its guarantee. It's kind of the same principle. There's a generic name for it in the insurance business. It's called moral hazard. Mm -hmm. If you have fire insurance, you'll have a, you're a lot more likely to have a fire. And uh, the, uh, in a large part of what we're having now is a fire because we have, we've, had, we've had a system in which the government, as we see now, is the lender, not only the lender of last resort, but now it's the, the hedge fund of last resort. So maybe things never really get better. Well, no. See, I, the, my view is that things like this will happen one way or another will happen every 10 years the real the real job of the regulator in these in these cases is to 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 insulate the rest of the economy from this and and to reduce the incentive for moral hazards so as the man says after you hit him over the head thanks i needed that yeah <laughs> <laughs> we needed this did we, did we? uh back to, or rather on to the phones 591-7200 and to Marilyn in Palatine. Good evening. Good evening, gentlemen. Um, you mentioned Wachovia, so my ears perked up and my cell phone went on. Uh, my aunt was 105 and a half, and she passed God away on the fourth. I know she passed away on the fourth of September, oh, and we cashed in her stocks on the fifth. 
which we thought was to our benefit because of the industry. But we have five CDs that we can cash in with the death certificate. Mm -hmm. But is that something, four of them are with Wachovia and one is with the Bank of America. And I'm really concerned because it's going down to her heirs and I'm the executor. Is it over $100,000? Uh, yes, sir, they are. And there are four of us on the account. There are four. Well, I don't know. I, I say it's, it's very the hard to know what your, it's very hard to know what your personal situation is. If the if the individual CD at the ind at the particular bank is under a hundred thousand dollars, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. Uh, do you have something to worry? Uh, this is this, it's it's a very delicate uh, issue. I I uh, 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 I, I don't want to I don't want to talk about an individual uh, bank. No, because... I think what I want to know is I know the Federal Reserve, you know, is is covering the insurance. But do no, I it's have not. To worry that's about... not. That's just a detail. You don't have a problem so long as the CD is at one bank under one account and it's under a hundred thousand dollars. No, it's, it's over a hundred thousand dollars. Much but over. Four people are on that account, and they have always told me we were protected because there were four names on the then you, CD. Then you have four separate accounts. Yes. Yeah. You're safe, ma'am, and we thank you very much for the call. And we'll go directly to the next, and that being uh, Curtis right here in Chicago. Good evening. Gentlemen, uh, thanks for the uh, wonderful dialogue, uh, very, very great conversation. Um, we're talking a lot about, you know, the financial services space and, you know, uh, government bailouts and uh, subsidies and, you know, there's a lot of other industries in the U.S. right now that are struggling. And, you know, how do we think about what the government intervention will be as we think about the likes of General Motors um, and, and, and other many important industries that, that, that keep us afloat? This is indeed a problem. Uh, since, since there is no principle articulated by the government for who is going to get bailed out, Bear Stearns got bailed out, but Lehman did not, but AIG did. You are quickly seeing the line form out the door. In fact, General Motors is in line. They and the other auto producers are looking for, well, it was $50 billion last week. It's been cut to $25 billion this week. There is no principled way that, that's been articulated to me that should say no. I mean, I would say no, but uh, uh, the guys in Washington have no principle by which they can say no. And it is a danger that you're going to get uh, the, the full faith and credit of the United States government sought after by everybody who's distressed. I mean, well, why not General Motors? You know, I'm, I, 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 that's a rhetorical question from my point of view. But somebody's going to ask it. Agreed. But, I mean, you know, if there were a prescription, if there were a, w a way to really think about this in terms of what do we really do about it? I mean, wh what's your purview on it? My what? view is you, you have to read the market signals and you have to, you have to respond accordingly. 
Our best. And those market signals are, are 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 not saying that we should bail out General Motors. They're also not saying we should bail out a lot of these financial institutions. We in thank my view. we thank the caller. We'll go quickly to another. But you know, Leo, I must. Um, Sam has just aroused my personal concern. I'm in the market for a new car. I've been shopping, and it might be a Toyota, uh, it might be a Honda, or it might be a, a Buick, a General Motors car. Is there any reason why? If GM is in that sort of trouble, I should hesitate to buy a Buick. No, I don't. Not I don't really, really think so. Really. I don't think it comes down to that. Uh, somebody's going to be guaranteeing what you need out of the Buick when you buy it. I think you buy it on the basis of quality and price, and uh, you know what you what you're looking for. But certainly not the make should make that difference to you. you. No. Your only your only issue is the warranty, where you are a cre you are a creditor of General Motors. Mm -hmm. They have a liability yeah. to you. But, but and if no, they go no, out of business? No, no, they're not going to go out of business. That's not what's going to... That's what I'm waiting for you to say. There's a common misperception that bankruptcy means going out of business. It does not mean... It somebody, simply means, simply means you go to court. It's what's going on with, with Lehman now. The brokerage part of the business is going to be sold And you off. put your debts aside for temporarily. You put them aside temporarily and you figure yeah. out what things are really worth. Give you a little time and you reorganize the business. That's you get a new happen. start. And we uh, go back to our old obligations, namely a round of commercials coming up, and then directly back our ultimate obligation to our callers and our emailers. 591-7200 for phones and for email, extension 720 at tribune.com. And back to the high-powered team of Peltzman and Malamud. And to this email to the two of you, your discussions always bring my thoughts to a higher level. Tonight, it occurred to me that we are just suffering the personal pains of what will be treated in history as the inevitable transition from U.S. world leadership to Chinese world leadership. Unless, well, we, unless we change our behavior patterns, as your learned guest so eloquently recommends, it is a challenging long-term picture. Leo Malone. It is a challenging long-term picture, and the trend that you're describing isn't really going to uh, be caused by recent event. It's a trend that's been going on for some time. Uh, the world is caught up with us. Uh, we were the only nation in the world after World War II that had an economy that had a strong uh, dollar that, that could lend and could build and could teach, and we did. And our students caught up, and one of those students in recent years has been uh, China, uh, fortunately, I think they're still our friends, and uh, their nation is clearly capable of being the leader in terms of uh, economic activity. Certainly in Asia and probably in the world, they've been moving extremely fast. And so uh, that may be an inev inevitability, um, and that doesn't necessarily speak badly uh, for America. I think we will continue to grow. It's just that the, the incline of growth will be lesser than it was, and the incline in China and some other emerging nations will be stronger. I, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, the, the, the integrated global economy has been one of the, one of the great uh, benefits of the whole post-World War II uh, uh, era. It's... Uh, you look at look at China now. It's a it's a it's a very important trading partner for us. It provides us with low price uh, uh, merchandise that we wouldn't otherwise have. It's it's provided investment opportunities for our businesses. So, it, you know the 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 fact that you are relatively uh, as 
Leo said, the fact that you're a relatively smaller part of a much bigger world economy shouldn't trouble us. And we go to Jerry in Vernon Hills. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Doctor. I understand everything your guests have said tonight, except that it is good that we will have fewer, larger banks on the European model, and that that is good. Aren't we just creating bigger monsters that will be able to hold us hostage and say, save us, or we take the economy with us? That, that is clearly the danger. And when I, uh, I spoke of that, I just said what's coming. I didn't necessarily say that it was better. It is going to happen because simply the practical result that we're seeing is is giving us direction in, in, in that way. So whether you like it or not, that's going to happen. It has its own dangers, as you point out, and there's the question of moral hazard, and that's one of the reasons that I personally have uh, found fault with the way our government has reacted in, in uh, bailing out this guy or that guy, because I think it does create uh, the idea of you become too big to fail, and that's terrible. I think that that's a very real danger. So uh, no question that uh, I'm not saying that that's the uh, utopia is a larger bank. I'm just saying it's the way it's going to go. Uh, I'm not so sure, actually. I think that the, a lot of the survivors of this shakeout are going to be little banks that stuck to their knitting and didn't play in the uh, 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 in the uh, securitized mortgage securitization market, retained mortgages on their books because they knew the borrower and so on and so forth. I think there'll be plenty of room for uh, uh, small players in the financial services sector. And uh, what what Leah was really talking about is how do you get funding for the uh, uh, for the trading and for the uh, the IPO flotations and so on and so forth, and that will probably change. Now, whether it comes through merging with commercial banks, I think that's really up in the air. It certainly is going to be uh, uh, less reliance on day-to-day -day money. Our thanks to the caller. Here's an interesting email I've uh, just read. I've heard certain con I've heard certain conservative media commentators blame Democratic political leaders for helping to cause this real estate crash. They claim that Democrats passed laws forcing lenders to make loans to minorities and lower income individuals, despite their inability to pay. Is there any truth to these accusations, or is it simply political finger pointing? It's got a, he's mi mixing up several things there. There is a law on the books, the Community Reinvestment Act, which let's say coerces regulated banks to divert resources into low-income uh, uh, neighborhoods. That, that's true. Uh, there was also a lot of pressure on Fannie and Freddie to take mortgages, subprime mortgages from some of these uh, communities. To say, to say that that caused the panic of 07-08 is a stretch. Right? There, were, there were elements of you know, it's a, it's a very good idea to 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 make uh, to to make mortgages to people who can't uh, pay it back. There were elements of that. You're going to see the rebound, which is when they're the the they can't pay, let them stay in their houses anyway, and have the government subsidize that. You're going to see a lot of pressure for that. But to say that that was the cause, I think, is a stretch. I, I agree, but I do think the caller is right in terms of overall, Congress has 
supported the idea of uh, uh, Freddie and and Fanny giving out these mortgages sure. that uh, oh, yeah. that expanded the risks involved and and so to that extent Congress is at fault. I wouldn't say just Democrats. I mean Congress in general has supported this kind of legislation. And we'll go directly to another caller. This one being. Uh, Camille in Elmhurst. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, gentlemen. You know, who's going to pay for all these bailouts? My daughter and her uh, children and my grandchildren. And uh, America is in short supply of good schools. Her infrastructures are failing. The transportation system can't compare with Europe's. And um, really, uh, if we're busy paying for General Motors and uh, Lehman and uh, everybody else, how are we going to re rebuild these cities and help ourselves and uh, have better schools? No, I, I think that you, you won't find any argument with what you said around this table because uh, I don't think any of us have uh, favored the, the bailouts. Now, uh, with respect to Freddie and Fannie, that was too late. That was already a guarantee by government. But some of these other things, the the Bear Stearns or the AIG, you're you're right. I think that um, we're 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 putting a burden on the taxpayer, a burden that should be used for some of the things you're saying. Certainly, the schools in this country, at least at the grade level, at grade school level, uh, are in deplorable shape and have to have to. I'm not talking infrastructure. I'm talking educational capabilities, yeah. and and they have to be made better if we're going to be able to compete internationally. Uh, where else are we going to get our future except from the schools? So you're quite right that uh, this is a burden that uh, uh, is going to hurt us. Well, I really feel that uh, what you spoke of before, uh, the global economy, other countries have caught up with us, is not entirely true. What has happened here is that we have helped many other countries, and now we are becoming a third world country because we just keep giving and giving, even though we need help ourselves. And a lot of my friends and associates feel the same way. It's really gotten out of hand, and this is the kick in the pants. I so, think you're a little uh, bit too I think our government <laughs> is poorly run, and I think that the men in office today are uh, unethical, and they don't do a good job. We have a very poorly run government. A little bit too much gloom and doom for my taste. America is still uh, by far, per, per person, the richest country in the world. There is no. Oh, I am no... so sick of that argument. We have children. How many million children go to bed hungry in this country at night? Less than That's most other places. That's the sad part of world. a rich country. That's how India is. They have their rich people too. So it's it's just not it's not right. Ma'am, you uh, we admire your articulateness and uh, note your intensity, and uh, we uh, will go on to another email which reads considering people losing homes jobs and investments do you think that people will be held responsible for this collapse bankers were manipulating computers to hide the risks are jail sentences and huge fines forthcoming why should i be providing welfare to these cheats you, 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 Who's going to pay the piper on this thing is what he's uh, asking. We haven't talked about that, and nobody's talked about that, but there's going to be a sea of litigation 
I shudder to think. Of, Was he of litigation or yes. or also federal prosecution? That I don't. I'm not. I don't. I'm not really? enough of a lawyer, but I I, I know and I live in this country and I know enough about its mm. culture to know that. Uh, the question you just asked is going to get wind up in court. Well, I'm not sure that uh, we have, there is, you know, uh, some sort of criminal, um, that criminal activity, except in the individual cases, like where you had Sok Chen with a, a bank trader that, uh, you know, committed fraud on the bank. But I don't know that all these things that were happening today by, by some of the, uh, the executives from the firms that were investment banks and so forth were bordered on the criminality of it. I think they're guilty of uh, stupidity in some cases and uh, uh, greed in, in other cases. I'm what about the golden parachutes that some of these guys uh, bail out with? Well, I want to, leave, to leave a, a fading and dying financial corporation with an extra gift of 30 or $50 million seems a little untoward somehow. Well, I would agree. It's it's uh, it's a lot untoward, and it's uh, it's part of a system that I think is going to change. I think that's going to be looked at in a very serious fashion, and I think the market's going to demand uh, a better result than that. So I thoroughly agree with you on that. Right. Well, when I talked about litigation, I didn't mean criminal stuff. I meant I lost money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be made back. And I'm going to sue you to get it back. And there are going to be a lot of a lot of uh, securities class actions. And uh, I sh just shudder to think of the business this is going to create for the legal system. Well, the lawyers uh, lawyers will like it. Will be, it's not going to be will be happy. Happy lawyers going to divert a lot of management talent to fighting these cases. But happy lawyers tend to make it, for a it change. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. But happy lawyers tends to make for a change in the political class. Somebody other than lawyers might change it <laughs> because lawyers are making too much money. That might be good for us in terms of well. governmental improvement. We pause. A, an update on the evening's news from David Jennings. And directly back to Sam Peltzman and Leo Malamud and to Ed right here in Chicago. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Dr. Rosenberg and guests. I have a comment to make, and then I'll hang up and listen to your guest reply. All right, it's a uh, deal. I believe that the only reason we are not calling this economic situation today is because of the brilliance of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He saw what happened without a social safety net, and he decided this will never happen again in America. That's why we have unemployment, welfare, and Social Security. And I think you have 45 million people on Social Security. You probably have another 20 to 25 on welfare and unemployment. You take away these programs, you've got another 70 million people with no money. One-third of those will be in the street. You will then call it a depression. And I just want to say this, if I may. I don't want to get too political. But I can tell you why the Republican Party hates Franklin Delano Roosevelt, because he committed to them the cardinal sin. And do you know what that is? He loved the American people. Thank you, Dr. Rosenberg. We thank you, sir. And I think I know who you're voting for. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think this is an issue about the social safety net. Nobody is talking about social security or unemployment insurance. I think the 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 real issue, short, the real the real issue is how much will what's going on in the financial sector affect what we call the real economy, people who go to work every day and produce things and do services and and sell things. And uh, it remains to be seen. So far, so far, that uh, real economy has been resilient, and you could, you know, if you're of a mind, you could attribute some of that to the uh, the innovations of the New Deal. I'm, I'm, I'm not that 
enthusiastic about them as the as the caller is, but this is not this is nobody's talking about about uh, abolishing those institutions. We're talking about a situation which threatens to uh, to slow down the real economy, which wouldn't be a disaster. Nobody's talking about a depression. Uh, it could happen if we keep if we if we botch things up a lot. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that I am generally optimistic in the long run um, are, are those kind of things that the caller is talking about that we do have in place, and certainly Social Security, unemployment insurance, and these kinds of things that were instituted under FDR are basic to the way of life that we have and are, are a safety net that are is fairly important. But... Uh, uh, you, you can't rely on that in the ultimate sense for everything. You, you can't let government do it all. And with that, we'll thank the caller, and we go to Irene here in Chicago. Good evening. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Um, I'm an accountant, former bank auditor, also have a degree in finance, and I have yet to read or hear any dialogue or discussion about the repercussions of the former Fed of the Reserve, Alan Greenspan. I would like to hear your thoughts about his decision to continuously lower interest rates. Um, and then I'd like to hang up and listen to you. Well, before you do, uh, give us the hypothesis you've got in mind. Uh, you think that his decision to lower interest rates had what consequence? Well, I think, in my opinion, I mean, it, it, from what I under, from what I've read, or from my education, it's unprecedented. And what have we learned from continuously lowering interest rates to the extent that those who are capable of taking advantage of the situation did? Or, you know, if you could elaborate more on that. Sure. What have, what have we learned from? You are suggesting that the lower interest, the, that the general trend towards lowering interest rates uh, on the part of the Fed, as led by Greenspan, well, uh, led to this crisis. Well, I created a, well, an opportunity to borrow sure. for sure, but I wonder if it also created somewhat of a panic. You're, 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 you may not have been listening, but we we actually did discuss yes. all of this uh, an hour or so ago, and you're right. Uh, uh, we had negative real interest rates. That that my my take on it is that that was an important uh, push that led us to where we are now. Have we learned? I don't think so. We have more negative interest rates today than we had in the the height of the Greenspan well, era. Well, the five percent inflation and a two percent federal funds rate. That's a three percent. But the, the Fed met met yesterday, and there was a thought they might lower it uh, another and half point, and they did. Thankfully, they did not. They did not. Because um, what this creates is exactly what the caller is saying: this this easy money, this free money, so to speak, um, that has been going on. We talked about it earlier, as Sam said. Um, not just in the United States, and that's why it's not just Alan Greenspan that kept rates low. It, rates were low all over the world, in Japan and India and Great Britain and so forth, unusually low for the longest period of time. This created an ability to do things with free money that you can risk much greater risk than you should, and this caused some of this happening. That leads me to uh, 
ask you, Leo, quite directly, because uh, you've got contacts all over the world and you're in and around many other countries in the world, I know a good deal. Uh, what are the immediate and what are the foreseeable consequences for the international economy? Well, I think that, you know, the old adage that if the United States catches a cold, the rest of the world has pneumonia isn't so far from the truth even today. I mean, there was a theory not so long ago that we were really in the globalized world disconnected. I really never believed that, and I still don't believe that now. I think what they're finding, and one of the reasons the dollar has gained some strength recently is because it's been discovered, you know, that the rest of the world, particularly Europe, is finding uh, difficulties that uh, they didn't think they were going to have. And so there's a spillover effect. It's affected China. There's stock market went down more than 50%. Um, they've recently lowered their discount rate reserves. I mean, the, the discount rate in, in China or the reserves for what the banks have to hold to bolster the economy somewhat. So even, even China's feeling the effects and certainly those effects will be felt everywhere. So I think this isn't just the United States problem. You know, it was, it, it sort of began here to unravel first, but Everybody's going to feel it all over the world. I really believe that. Does the rest of the world, as some of the other major powers in the world with good money to invest in the United States, do they have some role to play in our recovery? Well, they have a role to play in their own recovery, which in effect will help the global economy. As you noticed uh, yesterday, there was a concerted effort uh, to provide additional liquidity in the markets in Japan and England and the United States. Uh, participated. So that role is done as a, on an international scale because it has a stronger effect. However, in each case, um, it's going to help the local, the local economy as well. So every nation is kind of taking care of itself, but recognizing that the effect is global. We will pause right now. Last round of commercials coming up and then directly back to the phones. And there's room on the email for further contributions. I see one phone. I thought I saw one phone line available, but at the moment, it is taken. However, the number remains 5917200. And for email, extension720 at tribune.com. With that, we go directly back to the phones and to um, Alan in Oak Park. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Rosenberg. Great show. I have a question specifically, I guess, for Leo. I've been a trader at the Merck and the Board of Trade for 25 years. And with the uh, Me too. Explosion, of, <laughs> explosion of products to hedge against just the kind of risk that has happened, I don't understand. Were these companies not hedging against the the the, down, the country the using these products to hedge against the, just this kind of risk, or were they just speculating? I mean, well, it seems like they they should have been using these products that, that you invented to prevent just against this kind of thing happening. Well, first of all, I only invented one or two. There are many people who invented these products. Uh, but the, the answer to your question is, of course, they were using these markets. Uh, our volumes have been uh, steadily upward in, in terms of uses, users. And um, as you know very well, for every uh, buyer, there is a seller. And that seller is often a hedger. And the hedgers 
uh, came out okay because they did use the markets as they were supposed to to use them, and and of course uh, our markets worked perfectly well, which which is important to underscore that here in this entire upheaval, as long as you gave me this question, I got to put in this commercial. Uh, imagine in this uh, unprecedented upheaval that we've seen in recent times with the billions of dollars of losses and bailouts um, at the CME group, that's the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, um, all these positions were safe. And never been a failure. Never been a failure in over 100 years and wasn't a failure. There wasn't a failure uh, in the Bear Stearns collapse and, and, re, and yesterday and the day before in the Lehman Brothers collapse. Can you imagine the amount of money involved that was secure and segregated and safe? And we didn't ask the government for a handout. We didn't ask anybody for a, a, a penny. And there wasn't any sweat. I mean, a lot of people worked um, day and night to make sure that nothing went wrong. And it's, to their credit, everything went fine. But the model, the system that we have, which is, uh, in fact, a no-debt system, where everyone pays for their position twice a day, as right. so that uh, when you go home at night, you know your position is safe and paid for. Uh, this model, uh, this is the model that ought to be um, hailed across the world because it's worked so famously well. And here in Chicago, we're you and I and all the traders, members, and of this, of these exchanges ought to be and are very proud of that. I, and why? So were these were these large? Positions not being hedged is that why they're they're, they're failing now? Were they speculating rather than hedging the risk? Well, no, well some of that couldn't be hedged on this market. I mean, remember we only have certain products that had to do with uh, uh, you know currency risk or equity risk. You could have I'm been talking short. about mortgages specifically, though. Yeah. No, we don't. We don't have. Let, that. Let's 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 look at AIG specifically because it's it's well in point to this question. Where AIG got caught is precisely in saying that it was providing a not a hedge but an insurance service see is it's the biggest insurance company in the world it started insuring against the default of some of these mortgages but it didn't have enough capital once once the thing started cascading it didn't have enough capital to make good on the insurance right so so somebody was trying to hedge they were buying a policy but the policy didn't have enough capital in back of it to be worth anything our thanks to that caller and directly to Eileen in West Chicago. Good evening. Good evening. Um, very good program as usual. And um, my question for your guest is, do they see uh, or do you think there will be any changes in our uh, institutes of higher learning in the educating of our future uh, financiers, bankers, economics uh, for the students of the future. Then you have in mind particularly the business schools, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm in a business school. And, yeah, that's and, why uh, I, uh, I thought I would ask you. Times like this, times like this have a uh, uh, divergent effect, let's say, on the business school. A lot of people get thrown out of work and they come back to school, so that's good. The longer run, I think I think you're hitting on, on something that, that, that is going to be troublesome. Uh, it, it is true that a lot of these fancy derivatives that have gotten people into trouble were invented by graduates of business schools, and I got to say, many of them were graduates of the University of Chicago's business school. I think the demand for that sort of thing is going to go down, so it, it, it's not it's not good long run uh, uh, for us. All those things have a place. 
and it's going to take quite some time before people are going to rec recognize that truth uh, again. And in the interim, uh, uh, I, I think there will be an impact. We're going to have fewer students but, <laughs> of but, this type. But let me give you a different point of view in terms of the higher education in the United States, which is still the number one and the most sought-after educational facility in the world, because those these universities and colleges are a model for the rest of the world. Unfortunately, our grade school and, and lower education, high school and grade school, is suffering uh, and, and is not as competitive, or certainly not as competitive as the universities are, and for that reason, I think um, we have a problem in the United States. Thank you. And we thank you, ma'am. A very interesting question. And we'll now hear from Marty in Aurora. Good evening. Hello, Bill. Uh, first time caller, but I've listened to your program a lot, and I want to appreciate uh, what your guests have brought up tonight. But um, I, I think that obviously the economic fallout of this is going to be significant, and who knows where it's going to end as far as who else we decide to bail out. But I think it really identifies what I consider a really core problem is the fact that our, our government has become reactive uh, instead of proactive. Um, every time we turn around, it's like, okay, here's, you know, here's a situation that's developed. Where were the controls and the overseeing of these problems before they developed or as they developed to try to do something to stop it? I mean, another example would be the oil thing right now. I mean, oil's down, and we're still paying these outrageous prices. How come there's no checks and balances on that? So I guess my, my firm belief is the fact that in order to get elected today in government, by the time you get elected, you owe so many favors to people, you cannot be an effective person in government. And I think the fact that our government has let the political action committees and other uh, groups control them has made the government ineffective. Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective. Gentlemen, your response. Well, it, it's, it's, it, it, you have to be a little bit careful here. I think the problem going forward, gonna be, there's going to be lots of problems going forward. One of the problems going forward is how do you, how do you read the signals that the market is sending and, and do you react appropriately? As I said, the government's sitting with a lot of assets. What's it going to do with them? That's that's a, that's that's going to be a uh, a major issue. If the answer is that the government now becomes the lender of last resort to Wall Street, then uh, I, I'm sorry, whether I like it or not, they're going to be regulating Wall Street. They're going to re be regulating them in the same way that they regulate uh, uh, commercial banks. So that's going to be a, 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 another challenge uh, going forward. If they want to turn around and say, we're going to send an explicit signal now that uh, you, you're, you're all on your own, it's going to be very hard to do that, even if they wanted to. Now, Who's going to believe them? Now Sam raises the question of what the government will do. Uh, Leo Malamud, it will either be an Obama government or a McCain government. Will, will that make a difference? Will the one work differently than the other? Well, if you believe the record and uh, and the rhetoric, uh, I do believe there is a, a, a philosophical difference. Uh, in the case of uh, McCain, I think uh, he has been more or less uh, lower government type of lesser government type of uh, philosophy, with uh, more reliance on the uh, marketplace and on the individual. In the case of Obama, uh, at least from what I hear, of course, you know, we don't know, but from what I hear, he is relying to a great extent on a larger government role in things. And and so one has a clear definition of choice between these two candidates. 
That's true, but both are going to be very heavily constrained. This government cannot go on endlessly extending credits to the private sector, even if Obama w wishes to do that, and uh, uh, there's just going to be a limit on what he can do. Oh, uh, Obama's talked about raising tax, uh, uh, capital gains taxes, because that's a fair thing to do. He's going to back away from that. If he raises capital gains taxes in the middle of a period of economic distress, he's going to buy a deeper, uh, deeper distress. So there's a lot of constraints on these guys, and I, I agree with Leo. There will be a difference. It's not going to be that great. Well, both of them have their separate uh, groups of economic advisors, and you probably know the names of many of them. I know, well, I know them personally. <laughs> and you know it's them a personally. small profession we're in. <laughs> to be sure. Uh, we know that one of the leading economic advisors for Obama is the former president of Harvard, Lawrence Summers. Larry Summers, also yes. Also former secretary of the Treasury. Oh, Will he be giving the same sort of advice as the advisors that McCain he, has? He would tilt more toward, as Leo said, that that in, intervention. But but uh, uh, he's a solid kind of guy, and and, and uh, he's he's going to draw that boundary tightly if it were up to him. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 the, uh, on the other hand, the guys on McCain's side are going to uh, say they're not going to say just let the market solve. They're going to they're going to say we 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 have a problem and we're going to have to uh, restructure the regulations. So there's going to be a lot of a uh, lot of convergence there, but there will be differences. We have about a minute left, and Leo, I'll ask you to deliver the blessing or whatever it is for the last half for the next 30 seconds. Well, I think that this uh, phenomenon that we've been experiencing is difficult. It's uh, it's the worst in our generation, certainly in our time. And um, it's nothing nothing to make light of. Um, and, and we don't know what the outcome will be. Uh, I think there's certainly more to come. And I cert certainly believe that the overall economy will feel the effect. However, having said all that, and, and with all of the um, bad things that it represents. Ultimately, I think we're going to come out stronger as we have from for all the past adversities. There's much debt around, as we know. And gentlemen, I'm very much in your debt. You've done superbly for us tonight. Leo Malamud and Sam Peltzman have been our guests.